Welcome to a special episode of the Silicon Sasquatch podcast. I'm Tyler Martin, and joining me is Spencer Tordoff. Hey there. And Douglas Bonham. It's been a long time. Good to be back on a podcast. Yes, uh, if you're a regular listener, you may realize that Doug and I aren't very frequented on the Sasquatch podcast this season, but uh, we're making an effort to make more time. It's, it's, it's difficult since we're on a slightly different uh, time zone than the other members of the website. Just a little different. Slightly is putting it kindly. You know, only like 16 hours or so. Today, we'll be talking about uh, the next generation, as we call it every six or seven years go by. There's three new consoles. One is already out, and two more will be arriving in November. But things don't seem to be uh, as sunny and hopeful as they generally are when a generation shifts. Gamers would like to think that maybe the corporations don't have our best interests at heart and aren't looking to their fan bases to solve their financial woes and instead are trying to appeal to, I would suppose, a broader and perhaps slightly disinterested demographic. But maybe this is a bit of an exaggeration. Maybe people are leaping to conclusions when we don't have all the information. So here we're going to try to paint a slightly rosier picture and maybe put some of those fears at ease. Shall we start with the most recently announced console, uh, Microsoft's 360 successor, the Xbox One? Or as they joke, uh, the console where they took 359 steps back. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. Topical. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> line us out on that. The name is something that took an enormous amount of flack that I actually found rather surprising. I mean, to some extent, like, yeah, gamers are used to thinking of the original Xbox uh, released in 2001 as being the Xbox One. But the only reason this is the case is because Sony adopted the whole numeric naming convention for their consoles in the year 2000 with the PlayStation 2. Prior to that, there was no Nintendo 1. There was no Sega 1. Like they, they all had very distinct names, and the whole idea of like numerically ordering these consoles wasn't really present. So to attach this to the Xbox devices, uh, it's it's kind of ridiculous when the second Xbox was named the 360. Like, anyone who's expecting it to be called the 720 was probably a little out of their mind. Like, that would be a rather lazy naming convention, and I don't know, it just strikes me as wholly absurd. And frankly, we, we have better things and more important things to talk about than what the marketing team's gotten up to. Let's all keep in mind that the Nintendo Wii exists and existed and sold a ton of units, despite the name Wii, spelled with two and I's. the fact that the codename for that console was Revolution, which is actually an amazing name, but nevertheless, you're absolutely right. The name in this case does not matter. What people are more up in arms about is the, uh, really, the DRM scheme that they have going. Which is very piecemealed right now. Like, we don't really know the full scope of what this DRM is going to look like. True. I don't think we could say piecemeal. Just it's, it's not been transparently explained or directly explained. True. And that's largely a problem with Microsoft's PR at the moment. Uh, I don't think that they had a plan going into this conf or into this announcement about what they were going to address and how they were going to address these questions. I mean, God, we've had rumors pretty much 
all year long, possibly even before Sony's announcement that this was going to be a possibility, that Microsoft was going to have their games locked to a single user, that there wouldn't be this possibility to trade in your games, and that the system would always be had need to be connected to the internet. None of this was deliberately mentioned during the announcement. So nope. the fact that they would even answer these questions after the announcement prior to E3 just strikes me as just really, really poor public relations management. And, and it strikes me as kind of strange because leading up into the Microsoft announcement this past week, they had everything on lockdown. They were not talking about anything. And that was, that's say what you will, but nothing leaked out. And that's a unified way to address this. If this they, is a public they, relations reality that Sony could only dream of. Oh God. And Microsoft just screwed the pooch so hard. Well, you could say Sony did a lot better job with their announcement of the PS4 a couple months ago in that when stuff like this happened. I'm just talking in the scope of like being able to keep everything about that console a secret. At least everything that existed in that presentation. Right. Like and, some things were obvious, like a new Kinect. Yes. But the name, the design of the box, uh, I, I guess the TV thing was sort of like a, a rumor prior to that, but... I don't think anyone really understood like how it was going to inter- interact with cable devices and such. Well, I guess my point is, no matter what they're saying with Sony, nobody went off script. Everybody stayed to the same song. Whereas with Microsoft, you, you, there's there's been examples of one guy saying one thing, somebody in Xbox support saying another, and a third person saying a third person entire, entirely, or saying like anything could be possibilities now. It's just really, really disheveled. Well, to Sony's benefit, uh, they announced it so early that it was a much easier to crutch to say, this is all we're announcing at this time. All further questions will be addressed to E3 or later in the year. Well, it's easy for Microsoft to do that, too, if they have everybody say it. That's the thing, though, and you have to kind of understand this about Microsoft. They are a very multi-headed beast. Microsoft does not really have one core leadership team it's it's a very divided company there's a lot of i won't say infighting but there's a lot of conflicting messages just because it's just so segmented there so that's probably mostly a problem of culture well and not to skip ahead too far but that's been a huge problem for sony the last few years and now they're only now trying to address it but it's going to be even i think it's going to be honestly even bigger of an issue for for sony because you're dealing with stuff cross-culturally but anyways, back to the Xbox, yeah. Yeah, to bring this back to just the Xbox specifically. So I would say that the public reaction has been mixed, and that's putting it in a very friendly light. Yes. It's 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 a difficult thing to gauge. I mean, we're so such arduent followers of gaming as a media that I think sometimes we can get a little too close to what the niche uh, reaction to these things is. And certainly, like, the... I guess nomenclature would be hardcore gamer, but their reaction has been less than positive. But I don't think the the normal, the mainstream press has been quite so doom and gloom about the whole situation. I mean, because it's so early, because we know so little about the box, they're literally just reporting the news itself. They're not actually having any sort of reaction to it. If anything, it's sort of the positive, like, new technology news that you always see from the news. It's just like hey, there's this company making this new thing. It might be interesting. Let's take a look at it. Well, not to take too much of the niche view, but 
And and granted, you know, maybe they're going after an older generation than the one I'm thinking of. But if they're aiming at a basically mid-30s down, this console, the Xbox One, the TV thing came out of nowhere. It, yeah, it was anticipated, but who wants that? Well, for a company like Microsoft, the idea of having this all-in-one device makes a significant amount of sense. It's It's been their goal for a while, hasn't it? I suspect this has been something they've been attempting to build towards since the release of the original Xbox in the first place. I think they saw gaming as a solid entry point with not a lot of competition that could help them build these contacts and get into a hardware business that would enable them to branch out further. Well, they wanted to be in your living room, and then from there, they wanted to be what you relied on for all of your things in the living room. This is this really has been their plan since the first Xbox was even dreamed of. And it's kind of genius the way they got everyone hooked on uh, Xbox Live Gold, and they put these features that you would think a lot of people would just expect to be built into the box to be behind a paywall, like things like Netflix, things like Hulu. Silly things like Facebook and Twitter. The whole Netflix thing is actively offensive to me, and has been since I pretty much stopped playing games on my 360. But there are a lot of people who still pay for it. My housemate still pays for Netflix on the Xbox, and inexplicably, I still turn on the Xbox to watch Netflix. There's a PS3 right there, and I turn on the Xbox to do it. Well, the, the wild thing is, like, I look at the way that this box is going to work, and if it does pan out in the U.S. the way it seems like it might, I could totally see like a family or uh, someone who just has no interest in gaming but has a lot of interest in TV and media buying this device. Like it doesn't have to be a next gen console anymore. It can just be an entertainment hub. It can be your advanced version of the Roku box or whatever else you use to receive Netflix from. Well, it's not even just about Netflix anymore. Like it ties into cable boxes. Like God, I can't even think of all the times that I've gone back home to visit my folks and like trying to like look through Comcast, like on demand menus or trying to figure out what shows my sister's DVR. Yeah. Even just trying to figure out when like a new show is actually on. Like I'm so used to just watching all these shows after the fact that I'm like completely absent-minded to like what channel these shows are on and what day and what time. Like I've been watching elementary this season I have no idea what network carries that show. CBS. I have no idea what day of the week it's on. Yeah. I'm in the same boat, but that's because I'm the PC guy, not because of any sort of distance from the actual content. I could have cable. I could have, I mean, I could uh, be one of the people to benefit from the features of the Xbox One, but true to my position as the naysayer in this discussion. Instead, I have an old scrap computer hooked up to the TV and I download everything because that's just the type of person I am. I think that's actually an argument that's been made is that this generation, our generation of 20-somethings, maybe early 30-somethings, have disconnected from the cable box and we piecemeal together the media, whether by legal means, like purchasing into streaming packages, or by illegal means. This could actually be a boon. I mean, one of the problems that we're having with television right now is that People and even the government, like, uh, they're trying to get forced cable providers to break up their plans. Like, as it is right now, like, there's, it's almost impossible to get, like, a 
a broken up plan where you can purchase individual channels. Some people, maybe they don't want the Food Network. I don't know why you wouldn't want the Food Network. It's amazing, but maybe you just want to watch ESPN. But you can't do that. There's no way with some of these uh, providers to do that. And when you have a provider, they have a monopoly on a specific area. If I'm in Seattle, I have to get Comcast or I get Satellite. There is no alternative cable provider. If you're in, uh, I think, New York is what? Time Warner? Yeah. And if you don't have Time Warner, you don't have cable. You can, again, you can maybe go like DirecTV or Dish, but your only cable option is Time Warner. And what's crazy is, since I'm so close with sports stuff, since it was started like eight years ago, the NFL's network, NFL Network, has not been in New York City until this past like fall. And that's because they could not agree with Time Warner Cable over the carriage fee for the NFL Network and the slotting for that cable channel. So if anything, people, I mean, maybe not gamers, but people in general should be happy about what Microsoft's trying to do because they're trying to provide another alternative to the way people get their media and how it's delivered. Are we suggesting that this has the potential to make cable relevant again? Absolutely. I mean, cable isn't going away because old people, basically. Well, also, it's not going away because I read an article, an interesting thing on The Atlantic about this, is that they're tying together like like Comcast will sell you cable, your internet, and then some phone version of stuff. And people are tying together at least the phone or not the phone. Uh, who needs that anymore? But the cable service as well as the internet service. And if this, this gets more people to use those. Well, God, when I was in Seattle, the only reason we even had Comcast was because we got the high-end internet package. All we wanted was internet. And they were just like, well, for like 15 bucks more, we can give you cable. And 15 bucks between three guys, it's like, yeah, whatever, fine. Yeah, guess now we'll have ESPN and now we'll have MTV. Well, I guess we didn't really give a shit about MTV. But you get my meaning. Like We watch Daily Show, I suppose. And if the Xbox One provides a better way, because those those boxes, like you mentioned, have horrible UI. If the Xbox has even passable UI to surf through all of the materials you want, and if you can even be lazy and the, uh, the Kinect's better... Well, there was that uh, tweet that, funny enough, uh, Microsoft actually retweeted, not understanding it was uh, satire, was a GameStop editor uh, saying, God, I was just thinking the other day about how difficult TV is. There's got to be a better way. <laughs> and it's it's easy to say, like, yeah, TV is a pretty brainless idea. You just pick up the clicker, you change channels. But actually, yeah, yeah navigating the Comcast box, navigating those cable boxes it's, it's kind of a pain in the ass. Like, it's not the most intuitive experience. It's, it's slow. It's arduous. Like, there's absolutely a better way to watch television. I largely prefer watching television on my computer, like, the way you do, Spencer. Like, downloading these shows, uh, going to the streaming sites like Hulu and such, like, even with the ads, it's such a much more pleasant experience. It's just way more straightforward. Everything you want is there instead of having to wait for something to come out. It's... I, that, I mean, that's kind of why I've been thinking that cable is, is going to die off. But if they actually manage to get, like, segmented channels and then have some way to parse them like the Xbox One, maybe cable will stick around for a bit longer. Because that's kind of a necessary change for it. If, if the cable companies want younger people to continue to subscribe, then they have to do some type of a la carte setup. Because that's what we do, you know? I actually pay 10 bucks a month for Netflix, so I don't have to pirate certain things. I don't know. I think, if anything, we're going 
back in that direction. I mean, you look at services like uh, Spotify, like RDO, like people are going back into that, like, why do I have to pay for every little thing individually? Like, I watch several shows. I would much rather prefer to just have, like, a straightforward plan where it's just like, you want to watch your shows? Watch your shows. And just pay us this flat fee a month. As long as that flat fee is reasonable and it's easy for me to find those shows and watch them, that's a great idea. The problem, however, is that by tying this in with cable companies and tying this in with always being online, throwing into their DRM scheme, or we talked about how there was no real communication or message about the DRM, but not necessarily the substance, that the rumors seem to be true that there's going to be some sort of always online DRM or checking in online with your materials. This is going to elevate this box at a certain point because there's still not 100% broadband penetration in the U.S. And I'm sure even if there are areas with broadband, not everybody's subscribing. It's already slotting this Xbox One as a more advanced sort of box than your basic plug-into-TV, plug-game-in box that we've had for seemingly ever. The broadband penetration of the U.S., though, isn't really the important statistic. I think it'd be more apt to look at what is the connectivity rate of the Xbox, of the Xbox 360. Right. I mean, that's what Microsoft's concerned with. They're not concerned with, like, how many people in the U.S. total have broadband internet because most of the people that don't have broadband internet probably aren't the kind of people that want to buy an Xbox. Um, they're probably out there that's, living in the woods in some shack. Well, or, or they're living in the hats. middle of America and they're, they're kind of scraping by, but that's the guy who gets Madden every year and gets Call of Duty, and that's about it. Does he? What is he doing with Madden? What is he doing with Call of Duty? Call of Duty is Call of Duty because of the multiplayer, not because of the single player. No, he plays Call of Duty split screen with his friends. I know this because I've done it. I, I okay, this is the crazy backwoods Alaskan survivalist in me. But I, I mean, I've loved video games for as long as I live. You know, my parents still don't have a stable internet connection. More stable now than it has been. But I mean, we had dial-up until a couple years ago. That's just the fact of the infrastructure out there. And to basically have these larger entities, and I know I've said this on other podcasts, but to have these larger entities basically saying, well, you're not really relevant, is extremely offensive. I mean, granted, they don't care if it's offensive. As long as they have a certain number of subscribers to Xbox Live, you know, they could care less. But basically yeah it's 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 a marginalization of people who don't have access to city level infrastructure my greatest worry about this drm isn't so much the actual always connected aspect it's more of like a future thinking idea where i worry about playing these games after the next xbox whatever comes after the one if there is something after the xbox like i still have older devices either at my parents place even in the closet back here, I have an old like Game Boy Micro, I have a PSP, and I have hard copies of games that I can just play. If I one day sit down and say, I want to play Jean d'Arc, I want to play Metroid Zero Mission, I can plug those games in, I can play no problem. But if there comes a day when Microsoft doesn't support the Xbox One anymore and you still need that 24-hour check-in, like you're screwed. Those games are lost to you. I think there's a much bigger and much more full-size debate we can have about this just not just in terms of going forward but also stuff from the past and it'd be interesting to talk about but I, I feel like with that and also with spencer's you know the marginalization of being in the in the backwoods and nobody caring for you as a, as a business market or as a potential customer 
Like that's the company saying we can only serve so many people. Who are we going to marginalize with this and making a very hard business decision? And I know there's a lot of places we can say, oh, if you are in this situation and using always online DRM, like you can't access it. But I feel like too many of them are edge cases where you can say three of them or two of them or whatever, and then be able to feel smug because you found the one or two examples out of a million that will be not served by this technology. But this is endemic of a problem with Microsoft since the beginning of the first Xbox. They've always been, uh, let's not worry about tomorrow. Let's just worry about right now. I mean, you look at when the 360 launched. Like, they cut the head off of the original Xbox. Yeah. No new first-party games were coming. Live was barely being supported. The only reason that they even, like, kept that thing going for as long as it did is just because they had so many people playing Halo 2. And they could not convince those people to stop playing Halo 2 until Halo 3 came out. And one could argue that's the reason why the Xbox 360 had backwards compatibility in the first place, was just to get Halo 2 people onto the 360. I don't even think that's a hard case to argue. Like, yeah, that that's... Got it. That's pretty much it. I mean, at the start, like, God, how many other games besides Halo 2 were even supported? Was Halo 1 even on the first list of backwards compatibility? It might have been. I think it was, but I'm not honestly sure. The thing is, I mean, granted, I would say that, that Microsoft is kind of uh, emblematic of capitalism in general, which I would say lacks foresight, but, you know, that's just going to get me investigated later. But that lack of foresight is really quite important because, I mean, like Tyler was pointing out, that means they're not beholden to anybody. And when you combine that with always online DRM, forget edge cases, forget any type of uh, situation with somebody lacking infrastructure, it kills nostalgia. I mean, unless they commit to patch out the online checks, you know, if they're going to shut the console off, which I will say certain companies have said they would do. Valve has committed to doing that with their games in the event. I mean, granted, how would you download them? But whatever, it doesn't matter. Valve has also years of solid customer support demonstrating a willingness to compromise and willingness to help their customers. I don't think Microsoft has always received that benefit of the doubt. No. And again, like this is a great conversation to have, like talk about gaming's lack of institutional memory as a whole. And it's a good, it's a really interesting thing to talk about, but I think we should steer back towards talking about the other companies that we have or more about the Xbox One specifically and how it's not necessarily like the sky falling right now at the moment. All right. We're trying to be positive. We are trying to be positive. It's funny how that happened. There was a point about the DRM that I'm actually in favor of, and that's when you buy these discs, or assuming when you buy them digitally, I mean, it's almost inevitable that every single one of these games will be on the Xbox Live marketplace the day they launch. And that's a reason to be positive in and of itself. Right, of course. But the great thing now is that because they're going to be directly tied to your account, you go anywhere and you put that account on another Xbox, you can play that game. You can download that game. That game is yours and tied to your account. It's kind of like the opposite of what Nintendo's done, where their titles are all locked to their hardware. It seems like it's almost liberating. Like, it's just like anywhere I go, my content is mine. Like, it, yeah, I think about the Red Ringed Xbox. Like, it's not going to be hard to get all that content back. It's all just connected to your Xbox Live account. I will call that a win. I mean, not to be the snide PC gamer, although I'm always the snide PC gamer, but it's something that I've been enjoying with Steam 
for years now, and it's actually really refreshing to see a console uh, finally pick it up. Well, I mean, technically, the, it does exist on um, on Xbox Live now. It's just really a big hassle. Yeah, but even with Steam, only games with Steamworks let you do that with the disc itself. No, no. Uh, games with Steamworks allow you to do that with all of your saves and uh, all of your saves and settings, which is a big get. Yeah, but I'm saying if you go to the store and you buy a box copy of a PC game that's on Steam that doesn't have Steamworks. You can install that game, and you can have it launched from Steam, but you can't then like go on vacation, use another computer, and re-download that game on Steam if you don't have the CD. Fair. Certain games do allow you to register on Steam, but that's a moot point. Basically, I guess I was approaching it from the perspective of already buying all my games through Steam, and then, you know, I go somewhere, it's like, oh, hey, you want to use my computer? Oh, yeah, sure, and then, you know, all my games are there. And I guess the other big positive, like we mentioned, is in this whole generation, both with the Xbox One and the PS4, there's going to be a bigger focus that, that they've been testing the waters. Now they're going to be even bigger focus on just downloading the game straight from your online provider or the, the service provider, whether it's PlayStation Network or Xbox Live, instead of worrying about discs at all. And I, I think Tyler can speak to this as well. We've been doing that for, well, since I got to Japan and with the PS3, it's really liberating. It's really nice to not have to deal with discs. Yeah, I've been really trying to like convince myself to get more on the Nintendo download front since uh, they are doing a pretty good job of having day and date releases. In fact, uh, Donkey Kong Country Returns 3D just came out and it's immediately on the uh, eShop. But it's really hard to convince myself to drop that 35 bucks when it's number one, it's the same price it is at retail. Number two, like it's permanently tied to that. 3ds or if i manage to get that 3ds to the finish line i can eventually transfer it to another nintendo device but the idea that if that device is lost or stolen or broken that there is no way for me to recover that data without the direct interference or assistance of nintendo corporate especially since i live uh 7,000 kilometers away from nintendo of america it's an uneasy proposition, and so I'll probably just end up waiting for a sale on the hard copy of Donkey Kong, even though I would very much like to play it. Which is just kind of an offensive absurdity. The tech for that has been around, you know, <laughs> for probably a decade now. Well, you, you listen to Nintendo talk about it. Like, they talk about their download games. Like, they talk about it in the same way that you would talk about buying a box copy. They say, like, oh, well, if you lost your copy of... Mario, then obviously we wouldn't just give you another copy. And it's like, it's not really an equivalent argument there, guys. Like, come on. And it's also importantly not how everybody else is treating your download copies, whether it's music from Amazon or iTunes or if it's games on other services. That's not how everybody else treats this. And they say that they're just trying to make it easier on the customer by putting as little, like, legalese and steps in the process as possible. But I mean... Look at the, your primary Nintendo fan base. They're they're generally, what would you say, like children between like the ages of ten and sixteen. I'd say these are kids that are growing up with these devices that have these rights. These kids probably are well aware of the fact that if they buy a game on iTunes, that they can play that game on their iPod Touch. That when their parents give them an iPhone, they can play it there. That if Grandma buys them an iPad for Christmas, they can play it there. Like. As far as they're concerned, when you buy a game on a store, 
it's yours on that store everywhere you can play that game, not just on that single device that you bought it on. So I'm glad that uh, Sony and Microsoft both seem to understand this proposition that when you're purchasing this content, it's your content wherever you want to take it. And it's nice that this is finally going to apply not only to these digital downloads, but also buying the disc itself, which isn't really a practice seen elsewhere. How about we talk about um, some other interesting ideas that Microsoft brought? Uh, they're changing the controller itself, and they're also changing the Kinect. Uh, the controller seems interesting to me, especially uh, with uh, they're having different rumble sensors now, right? Well, they added rumble motors into it, so now there's four motors instead of two. HD rumble. <laughs> Surround rumble, if you will. Christ. I can't get too jazzed about rumble. Sorry, it's it's there, but I never really care too much. I don't notice it when older games don't have it, but I don't really give too much of a care about it in my games. It's not a feature. I guess I'm alone then that when I uh, finally did buy a PlayStation 3, it was uh, directly after the release of the DualShock 3. And going back and playing some of those PlayStation 3 games that I missed, the ones that were released and designed without Rumble in mind, it was a rather odd experience playing a game like Resistance before the Rumble patch that you're so used to shooters having that sort of feedback. I mean, yeah, you don't think of it. But when it's not there, it's, it feels something's off, like you're missing an input. I think what's more, obviously much more interesting is going to be talking about the Kinect. I do love the joke that I've heard from, I think, Ryan Davis of Giant Bomb saying that it does not bow anymore. It does not move around on its motors, the new Kinect. So it's disrespectful, which is hilarious to me because I live in Japan. But if it's a, it, this sounds like it's the Kinect that should have come out in the first place. Like it's like with Apple products in a certain way, like the first run of them is the, proof of concept and the second run of them is oh this is what you actually want to buy apple has never released anything as broken as the first connect unless maybe you can count the newton but the newton was less of a prototype for the iphone and more just a fucking mistake yeah i don't know there was a lot of interesting tech in the newton but of course i'm obligated to say that <laughs> <laughs> on the whole rumble thing wake me up when they bring back force feedback because that was actually pretty cool microsoft sidewinder never forget there you go have you, have you guys had much experience with the Kinect? I mean, I, it came out when I was already over here. And with the original Kinect, like, I never lived in a place that was really, that had a large enough space that could support using something like Kinect. It always seemed interesting to me in theory, especially for, like, games like Dance Central. But the only experience I ever had actually interacting with the Kinect was in a store. And it was always just like, hey, that's a thing i guess but it was never like you should totally drop like 150 dollars on this thing it's not relevant to my life mostly i mean the connect in our house is usually screamed at to attempt to control the xbox and it misinterprets all the commands i played a little bit of child of eden which was kind of fun and then i ended up turning the controller support on i played some dance central which is fun but forgettable yeah the the, the fact that they're doing a new connect is irrelevant to me at best. Well, I'm not going to ask you to play game designer, but could you foresee an experience that would be compelling for you in terms of like playing a game through the Kinect? Maybe. I'd just like the option to turn it off if it's not going to be used. I think that if you're talking from gameplay design standpoint, there's a lot more interesting stuff that could be done with the Kinect in ways that aren't like advanced, don't have to hold anything waggle. Like less, less Dan Central and more like 
Idle Thumbs this week went on a fantastic tangent talking about how you could use it to be really, really freaking scary if you're talking about horror games. Like have it provide this little mirrored effect where you could see somebody come up behind you in your TV instead of like the TV's gone black. Like some really, really like almost Japanese horror style sort of things or I guess what gamers would understand the, the reference like stuff that Kojima would do in Metal Gear that's really kind of crazy but then advanced applied to being technology used to make you just just wet your pants and like, be really really afraid of your game and take horror gaming to this other place that would require some deft hands that could come across as extremely hokey if handled improperly right and I think the bigger point with Connect is one of the rumors I heard before uh, Microsoft's announcement, all, one of the rumors I heard earlier this like late winter, early spring, is that Microsoft's in the system there was a whole like section, a whole chip or whatever dedicated to sound processing. It's like, hmm, it's not going to be used to make sound coming out better, but if it makes the connect and your ability to scream at the connect of a much higher fidelity. And also to be able to deal with the TV, what what turns out to be the TV tuner and all the other multitasking tab out type of stuff that the Connect or the, the, the Xbox One will allow, that could be much more interesting. I don't personally ever use anything like Siri or voice control for anything. It's always just been far too unresponsive and troublesome to me. Like I can usually just get it done faster if I just use my freaking hands. But I do know people over here that rely on Siri, that use it quite frequently. And so if Microsoft can get the voice control of the Kinect down to a much more finer point, then that could absolutely be a boon both for gaming and for the device as a whole. And let's not forget, unlike the original Kinect, they're putting this one into every box that they're selling. It's going to be on every SKU. And that's been the road to getting things adopted ever since gaming started. I imagine that with Spencer here, I can't be the only one that's slightly unsettled by the idea of this camera that's always on, always listening, always connected to the internet. It's just sitting in your living room. Yeah. All three of us. I'm creeped out by that, too. I'm right there with you. Uh, apparently, back in the um, the beta of the original Connect, like when they were um, giving out test units, they were always on back in the old days. And... Apparently, that was kind of weird. I heard at least one rumor when I was testing at Microsoft that some not exactly, you know, some kind of sorted stuff had come up on the feeds because the feeds are just constantly reporting home. Like, hey, I have I have a camera going. You should look at this camera. Oh, God. Back to the, the corporate server. And the potential's there. You know, all it takes is one security breach for that to become a giant shit show. Well, let's end our Xbox talk with possibly the most positive news to come out of their announcement, which was there are 15 games to be released exclusively for the Xbox One within the first year of its life, eight of which are new IPs. Obviously, they didn't really show a whole lot. We did get a look at Remedy's next game, which how you feel about Remedy might be varied. I loved Max Payne. I never actually played Alan Wake, although I did just pick it up for the, the Humble Bundle recently. But I think that's that's better news than we've seen out of Microsoft Studios probably in the past, like, three years or so. Yeah, it's been obvious that they've been kind of sacrificing their first-party support for the Xbox 360 in order to build up for this new console. I'm pleased to see that they're uh, they're going for it, but I kind of want more detail than that, you know? Just 
some more information before I really consider purchasing the console. Yeah, we don't know what type of games these are. These could be eight Halo games and then eight Kinect games. But if anything, Spencer, at least there's the possibility that most, if not all, these games could eventually come to PC because that certainly seems to be a trend with uh, Microsoft uh, exclusive games. <laughs> Just uh, give it five years and it's still live exclusive, so have fun with that. <laughs> wah, wah. All right, so would we like to move on to Sony? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't have as much information. Uh, they announced their system back in February, and theirs was a bit more uh, limited. Uh, there was no box to show, although that's probably irrelevant. It doesn't really matter what it looked like. It's going to be a designed black box to play discs. I mean, it's all... Um, and besides, it's all uh, quad-core x86 stuff for like all of the consoles now so yeah and that's a reason to be optimistic as well that all this stuff is now going to be a lot more unified it's not going to be crazy like you're not going to have sony doing the cell architecture or something or the emotion engine or whatever stupid thing that they've come up with their mark cerny has gotten them to develop the hardware to actually give developers what they want and what they need as opposed to some pie-in-the-sky dream and or techn- technological masturbation coming from Japan. So what are we excited about as far as the, the PlayStation 4 goes? I mean, they actually showed like quite a few games at their presentation, uh, at least one new IP in the form of uh, Mac, which was out of uh, J- Sony's uh, Japan Studios. It appears to be like some sort of kind of like cartini like almost uh astro boy looking animation piece with a a character that's just made of lots of tiny little pieces well for me right now i've been into the sony thing pretty hard like when i came to japan i was a little bit disenfranchised with microsoft i still had the xbox 360 back in the states but i wasn't like in love with the whole process and going back and turning on Xbox and getting that dashboard update from 2011 kind of confirmed that. And then I've been on PlayStation Plus for over a year and it's been fantastic. Sony's gotten their stuff together in this the end of this generation. And that combined with the desperation that like they are turning the PlayStation into one of the pillars of Sony going forward. They've lost a lot of money because TVs are now commodities. They're razor blades. They're they're not something that you have a huge profit margin on anymore but gaming still it does kind of have that so gaming has become a thing that sony's building its you know future around and they kind of screwed up stuff at the end of the last or not until not the end but they kind of screwed up stuff at the last generation they didn't come into it with the proper mindset they actually have the mindset i think microsoft has right now which is they're on top of the world what could go wrong and now they're making all the right gestures and motions towards what I've been finding more interesting lately, which are the indie games. Well, it almost feels like kind of like a mea culpa, like coming, trying to come back to these people that they spurned at the end of the la- or at the beginning of the last generation. Exactly. In hopes that they, they, they can dig themselves out of this hole. Do you think that could work? I do. I think that the Microsoft Xbox One press conference and announcement from this week was designed to get it into the New York Times and CNN and to have this like to set out their huge marketing, like their 50,000 foot level marketing idea, which is TV and all this type of stuff. And the games that they talked about were sports games and Madden type of stuff. Whereas with Sony, they showed a bit more and they kind of aimed it at developers and the serious kind of crazy hardcore gamers. So the question then becomes, can gamers make the PlayStation 4 a success? 
or do they need to look at it the way Microsoft is where saying we need more we need a bigger audience we need a different audience than just gamers to support our device I think they can because it's one of the things where you build from your core you're a gaming device still centrally and gaming is still the most important thing you do on this you will be able to get Netflix you will be able to get all that other stuff on the device but I think Microsoft's might be splitting its base a little bit too much and trying to be like the jack of all trades that you cannot do everything with or doesn't do everything as well i guess you could say one thing i found rather interesting recently was an article basically about breaking down the sales of consoles across each generation and i think a lot of people have tend to assume that things have been getting worse Things aren't like the golden age that they were during the Famicom, during the Super Nintendo, during the PlayStation, during the PlayStation 2. I mean, PlayStation 2 gets some crazy numbers. But if you look at the whole piece, if you look at all of video games, not just individual platforms, with every generation, things are getting better. Yeah. During the uh, Atari days, there was only like maybe 5 million units sold total among everybody. The next generation, they multiplied that by 8 with the Atari 5200. With the next generation, they doubled it. So up to about 160 million there worldwide for the NES? Even last generation, like if we're looking at total units sold across the 360, the Wii, the PlayStation 3, we're talking about a quarter of a billion units sold. That's not too shabby. I mean, in grad, these are, these are broken up pretty evenly among all three devices. They're still not doing those PlayStation 2 numbers. But if the trend continues, like, things are going to go up. Gaming is a part of media now. Kids are growing up around games. Like, it's not a fringe group. I think it's also the pie is growing because it's becoming more and more international. As Tyler pointed out to me, like, I saw the news, but I didn't really grasp the, the relevance at the time. Like, Sony just opened a or a, like cut the ribbon on a manufacturing plant for PlayStation stuff in Brazil for PlayStation 3 hardware specifically right Brazil is one of the three or four massive growth areas for the world economy in this 21st century along with Russia India and China I don't know if they can get consoles into all of those places but it makes Microsoft's US centered US focused whole strategy seem a little short-sighted yeah, but who knows when the PlayStation 4 will end up arriving in these countries. Right, but I'm just talking in general. Like, in terms of general gaming, the pie is growing because it's going to different places than it was before. It's not just America and Japan or America, Japan, and Western Europe. It's now going to countries that are developing, and if not fully developed, at least are getting enough of an upper class and middle class that want gaming and can get access to gaming now. Now, I will at least point out that Brazil is kind of a special case because they have, if I'm not mistaken, and you might be able to correct me on this, Doug, but they have very stiff tariffs regarding the import of electronics. And that's actually why Sony and why I think previously Apple established manufacturing centers there was to get around the import expenses. I don't know specifically, but that sounds like the plan. Like, uh, I know it is with auto manufacturing. Like, you cannot import because it's so expensive, so you put a manufacturing base down there. That's the growth strategy that the country will have, yes. It's still promising in that it suggests there is certainly a demand down there, though. Yeah, or that, or that Sony sees it as a future place where they can go. So, Spencer, I know that you rarely touch your consoles for any sort of gaming intention as it is. That's true. But of the two... What, what would you say you probably spend more time with these days, your 360 or your PS3? I mean, again, the 360 gets turned on to stream stuff. Game-wise, 
Neither. They're equally ignored. I mean, I think I bought the Wallace Wells add-on for the Scott Pilgrim game on 360. Oh, right. And that that was the last thing I did game-related on there. Maybe Rock Band every so often. So was there anything out of the PS4 announcement that got you even the slightest bit excited or interested? Well, I had a lot to say at the announcement, as you'll recall, because... Twitter kind of slapped you upside the face uh, at that point. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Twitter said, no, that's that's enough. Stop. What is wrong with you? You could just retweet stuff at that point. You couldn't even post anything new. I could not even retweet. <laughs> I could only favorite things. Oh, my God. And that was it. I wasn't even aware that was a thing that Twitter did. Yeah, apparently if you exceed a certain number of tweets in a certain time span, <laughs> then then they will just cut you off. Now, the one thing I will say uh, that is interesting, and granted, we talked about the copyright issue on um, on the last podcast, but the fact that they're integrating streaming capability, like not to the console, but out from the console of games that you're playing, they're going to have games that you play via streaming, they're going to have the option to put your stuff right onto Twitch TV or some similar service. Ustream, I believe? Uh, Ustream, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've actually been doing some stuff on Twitch lately, haven't you? A little bit, yeah. Just mostly for fun, because I'd be playing games on Monday night anyway. But, yeah, it's kind of interesting, because, again, it's sort of reaching out to uh, to a group of people that has been estranged, unlike uh, the indie people. In this case, all consoles have kind of just not really acknowledged it. And basically say, hey, you don't need to use a breakout box to do any captures or anything. We'll give you the tools. And, well, the question of who's going to benefit from ad revenue is still totally up in the air. It's also a little disconcerting that Sony's taking a very Sony-esque approach to how they're handling it, and that they're saying it's going to be up to publishers to decide what can be streamed. And it's it's similar to the way they handled region locking on the PlayStation 3, where it's, there was never any oblique region locking in place on the PlayStation 3. It was always left up to the publishers that if you want to region lock your games, that's on you. You take care of that. And so, for the most part, every game is playable in every region, and that's great. But then you have the occasional instance of games like uh, Persona 4 uh, Arena, which is specifically locked to those regions. So we could get out of this in one of two ways, which is it's handled just the way region locking was handled this time, where the major- vast majority of publishers just don't care what you stream. It's just lets you go nuts. But there is kind of a nightmare scenario where they protect everything vehemently, and they're constantly trying to prevent spoilers and prevent certain features from being exposed to the public for this, that, and the other reason, which would kind of defeat the whole purpose of having that sharing capability in the box. Naturally. I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful that it exists. We, of course, don't know any details yet. Well, there is a ability on the PlayStation Vita, which I know neither of you have much experience with, that you can take screenshots in most games built into the device. Like it's not, uh, it's kind of similar to how you'd take a screenshot on your iPhone. It's like holding down the home and the sleep button at the same time. But that can be disabled in certain games. What would you say the percentage is? Like, is it 75% of games where you can do it, or is it only 50%? I'd say if I'm breaking it down by region, it's maybe half of Japanese games, if I'm being generous, and it's like 90% of Western games. They let you do it? Yeah, Western games let you do it, usually. They don't really take much issue with it. 
But for some reason, there's a lot of Japanese games that won't let you take screenshots for some reason. Not really sure why that is. But Japanese publishers are generally, for some reason, just more protective of that whole business. And that's why Persona 4 Arena was region protected is because they were worried about reverse importation of the U.S. version or back over to Japan. In that case, just lower your fucking price. Which is silly because at this point you can walk into a secondhand store and you can pick up Persona 4 Arena for probably even slightly cheaper than you find it in the U.S. store. I don't know what the U.S. price is right now, but yeah, I would imagine so. I think it was cheaper than what PlayStation Network had it listed as on sale this week. So, Well, especially with uh, how um, the exchange rate has gone these days. Yeah, that's true. Ugh, oh, strong yen. I miss you so much. Oh, Japan. Well, there's also the streaming of games. We don't know how it's going to work or if it'll even work effectively. But theoretically, you'll be able to play games without ever downloading them to your console. And combined with the theory of PlayStation Plus, which Doug and I enjoy greatly, I think this could pay off hugely. So I think it's definitely in Sony's uh, best interest to get ahead of that stuff. They took way too long to get PlayStation Plus rolled out on the Vita it would behoove them greatly to have PlayStation Plus on the PlayStation 4 at day one. And I would think with backwards compatibility missing for the PlayStation 4, it would be a great idea to have that kind of like apology to gamers saying, we, we're sorry we couldn't get this into the box, but you can still play your old games with PlayStation Plus and Gaikai streaming. To kind of touch on that, at the least... A big question mark right now with Sony is its corporate structure. Like I mentioned before, they're trying to rotate and change their business and rebuild it around gaming as one of their big hubs. Former Sony Computer Entertainment head Kaz Hirai has become the president, maybe CEO? I'd have to remember the titles of Sony as a whole. I believe he is CEO. He's in charge, and he gets gaming. Hopefully he's hands-off enough to allow the PlayStation team... Like the the ideas coming specifically from Europe, they they drove a lot of the uh, PlayStation Four launch announcement, for example. Like to let these ideas from the other countries override the kind of stupid Japanese ness that happens, like the online stuff. That's also a big thing with Nintendo is them just being Japanese and not getting how a lot of the internet's used in the rest of the Western world. So if they can overcome that, then that's a big hurdle to go through. But otherwise, yeah, the whole kind of murkiness and shifting politics and everything within Sony right now is a big question mark for the PS4. Well, Sony corporate is a very, very easy target to take a giant shit on. Yes. But, I mean, Kaz just became CEO, what, like last year, two years ago? It's pretty fairly recently. Uh, yeah, yeah. The mess that Sony finds us in now has been in the making for the better part of a decade. Like, even though the PlayStation 2 did great, it was around, like, what would you say, like 2000, that the other parts of Sony just started to falter? I mean, the MP3 players can never keep up against the iPod, uh, the HDTVs. You could say it's from the late 90s, even, was when they started planting the seeds. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's a Japanese corporate cultural thing where it became very divided. Like, different groups, like, the portable music group wasn't talking with the entertainment group who have all the rights for stuff and then weren't talking to the phone group and the phone group wasn't talking with the PlayStation group or anything like that. Right. And the important thing to realize is that Kaz didn't become CEO by accident. No, he wasn't just promoted there just for the sake of promoting him. Like he ran 
one of the most successful branches of Sony, and he pulled them out of the fucking gutters. Like, after Kudaraki launched the PlayStation 3 to $600 with the cell processor, Sony eventually put him off in his little corner, and now he's over at Marvelous, and Kaz became the leader of SCEI. Yeah. Sony Computer Entertainment International. And he made the PlayStation 3 something of a success now. Like, yeah, it never made it to those PlayStation 2 numbers, but arguably, with the Xbox 360 launching first, it might have never even reached that in the first place, even if it had launched out at a better price and slightly better compatibility. I don't want to apologize for the PlayStation 3, but Japanese numbers are way down compared with the PlayStation 2, just in general in gaming. Like, there's not as big a focus on console gaming here as there was in that era. And I think that was the end of an era for that. And Sony didn't win America like they did with the PlayStation 2. Like, gaming was PS2 at that time. And no one's ever going to pull out any actual, like, factual information regarding Kazurai's treatment of different departments. But rumors around water coolers over here are that he's taking a very un-Japanese approach to the way he's forcing inner departmental communication, basically telling leaders of these departments either play ball or get the fuck out. Which is kind of the opposite from Microsoft's approach, it would seem like. Well, it's much needed, and hopefully those rumors prove accurate. I mean, I there was a day when Sony wasn't a joke of a brand, and it would be nice if they have to slim down and they be, can become like a strong... I mean, they, they'll obviously never probably reach those Apple levels, but they could become a prestigious brand again if they play their cards right. Yeah, it seems like if Kazurai is doing those come-to-Jesus things like either play ball or get the hell out, it's following through with the stuff that Howard Stringer, the British former CEO and president of Sony, was trying to do, but Kazurai can do it because he's Japanese. Go figure. You can even look outside of the PlayStation brand for promising developments within Sony. Recently, they launched uh, their Xperia Z, or Xperia Z, depending on what part of the world you're from, which, by all accounts, it's a damn decent Android phone. Yeah, my friends have the older Xperias, and they seem pretty cool, too. So, yeah, there's still some good development coming out of Sony. I think that's a good place to leave it on. And so, we're about an hour in. Let's get to the Wii. I mean, none of us have a Wii. The two people in our group that have Wiis are not here. The Wii U, or just the... The Wii U, yes, excuse me. Yeah. God, that branding. I was going to say, because... <laughs> Got a Wii. Uh, don't use it much, but... You know. <laughs> oh, boy. Wow. Context. Anyway. I think the reason to be optimistic with this is, I hate to say it, but there's past precedence. The Wii came out like a house on fire because it had Wii Sports, but it didn't have much else in terms of Nintendo product for a while. I don't think Nintendo wants the Wii U to be compared to the Nintendo 64 or even worse, the GameCube, though. Both of those consoles did not do the numbers that they had hoped, and the GameCube really kind of hurt them. Like, even though it was kind of a gaming darling, because it had some great games on it, it never did the sales they wanted, it never did the third-party sales they wanted, it was just the also-ran to the PlayStation 2. But I, I think, and it's touching on what you've got as a column that we need to get out this week, Nintendo's not the same as Sony and Microsoft. They won't be mass market with third parties anymore because they designed the hardware in such a specific way that it's hard to 
port over you know pc games xbox games playstation games you have to create something new just for that hardware because it's so unique that it becomes a nintendo box it's been that way since the nintendo 64 but when they don't have that manufacturing when they don't have software to fall back on the way sony and microsoft do don't they kind of need every box they put out to be at least something of a success I guess the dirty little secret is that the, the the handheld, the 3DS and before the DS and before that the Game Boy Advance are what's propping it all up. I find it kind of distressing that the fact that uh, the Wii U is not going to be a big outlet for shovelware is going to be the reason that it's not a big commercial success or not rated as one. Yes. That's just kind of a bummer for me because, <laughs> oh, you know, there's not a giant pile of shitty games on this console. Well, too bad it didn't make any money from those shitty games. And, you know, from my perspective, and, you know, call me crazy, but of the consoles this generation, the ones announced anyway, I mean, we're still waiting on the Steam box, if you want to call it a console. But out of the PS4, the Xbox One, and the Wii U, I want to say the Wii U is the only one bringing anything new to the table. Hardware-wise, yeah, it's... Hardware-wise, maybe, but... I mean, it's got the, the screen controller, and... But that's something that Sony's already doing with their own devices. Like, I can play Guacamelee using both my PlayStation 3 and my Vita at the same time. And for the hardcore gamer, that's not a stretch. But to be able to do it out of the box is something that Sony doesn't have. You have to own two separate consoles in order to do it. And, you know, for whatever that's worth, I I kind of find Nintendo's approach really compelling. Granted, not compelling enough to buy it. But... I feel like there's a lot of interesting stuff that could be done, especially by creative third parties. Talking to Wieners, though, like, it's not the second screen that they find most compelling about the device. It's the being able to move your content to that screen independently, to have something else playing on your TV, or to not even have to have the TV on to play that game. It's not a non-existent selling point. It's not, you know, the pipe dream for, for being able to use it, but it is, you know, pretty cool. It's convenient, but it's not really bringing anything new to the table gameplay-wise. Yeah, I mean, that's that's fair to say. And the, and that's the, the ultimate tragedy, is that there's a lot of potential in the Wii U. And I'm sure uh, Nintendo will exploit a lot of the potential, but it remains to be seen if any other developers and publishers will. I played with um, the Wii U a bit with Aaron and Nick when I came back and visited the States, and it was interesting and it was fun to play nintendo land but the problem is it's only nintendo that's going to make games that are like that just by the nature of the economics and by the nature of how well has nintendo really opened this up to indie developers that much they don't tend to yeah but they're still nintendo they had a presence at gdc really there was a presentation they gave to indie developers explaining to them how to put their stuff on the eShop. they had um what's What's that, um, the game engine? Unity? Like any, yeah, Unity is going to be on the Wii U, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but I mean, Unity is mostly for making cell phone games. I don't know. There's some really compelling stuff on Unity. Project Infinity, which is Obsidian's new Baldur's Gate-style game, is being done ah. in Unity. Have they shown any screenshots of that? I mean, it's not even due out until next year, isn't it? They've shown a little bit of uh, footage, actually okay. and it's it's looking pretty cool and yeah I, unity is did you kickstart that <laughs> yeah of course I, I did i couldn't bring myself to i mean as much as i enjoy obsidian games they come out broken 
That's very true. They do, but I feel like that's largely the fault of publishers. Not to completely absolve them of it, but Obsidian has been kind of held hostage on several occasions by very gung-ho publishers, which is really a bummer from my standpoint. But anyway. I digress. (laughs) So, the point being, Unity is not a total joke. Unity is... I mean, it's it's an engine, and it has some compelling applications. So, that as a result, it's popular. A lot of people are using it, and to have it running on Wii U does open the door for a lot of projects that otherwise would just be on PC. And let's not forget that was also mentioned at, on the PlayStation 4 press conference, too. This is true. And if it becomes a very low barrier to entry to port your stuff over in Unity to two consoles... That's a pretty big get for Nintendo and for Sony. That's going to be something that Microsoft axed in the one by not doing an independent games section. I would think it'd be easier to be more optimistic about Nintendo at this point if the games that were supposed to be in the launch window had actually arrived in the launch window. Yeah. Games like uh, Wonderful 101 by Platinum and uh, Pikmin 3, those were both supposed to be out, what, spring yeah and now we're pretty much in summer and they i don't think either has a release date yet they might even show up at e3 but nintendo's always been the it's better to release it when it's perfect than when it's on time sort of company all the way back since nintendo 64 they've always done this yeah it's such to their detriment at this point yeah once you have the shots across the bow from sony and microsoft They've got to get market penetration. Like, the clock is ticking. And if they don't have a substantial head start of people on board for Nintendo games, by the time that the Xbox One and the PS4 drop, I think it's fair to say that the lack of third-party interest that we're seeing right now will just continue. They're not going to have a press conference this year at E3. They, they have announced that they're going to have Nintendo Directs, which is, I guess, their pre-recorded... They're basically E3 press conferences without the audience. It enables Nintendo to more directly control the message. The last one was great, but it was all old AP. There was nothing new to gleam out of that. And I think no one understands better than Nintendo at this point that they have to have a strong press at E3. They have to have games that get them excited about the hardware. But I think the one thing that isn't really being taken into consideration is that they need some new IPs. They need some new brands to get people excited. Because even though, like, the Zeldas, the Marios, the Metroids, they all get the same audience coming back, I don't know if that's just going to keep attracting new people the way it used to. You've got so many different brands, so many different games competing for attention these days. You need something fresh. Right, and because... Nintendo takes the old school approach of games and games only. And they're not marketing the Wii U at all as a media platform. I mean, I think it has Netflix, right? Or something like that? Yeah, it does. Yeah. And they they finally patched it in that you can actually watch the Netflix videos on your tablet. Why that wasn't there from day one is just mind-boggling to me. Yeah, yeah. But basically my point is... Either, I, I, I'll, I'll qualify it in a broader way for Nintendo, which, you know, of course they're not listening, but whatever. What are you talking about? Reggie's big fan. Of course, of course. How could I forget? Hi, Reggie. Our bodies are ready. <laughs> okay, either they 
come out with some new IP that's going to bring more people in. Uh, and I don't know if you aim for an older audience or if you just do something completely unexpected, but you get some type of new thing. Or you got to start working the media angle. Say, hey, this is a $250 device that'll do your Hulu. And like basically do what Microsoft is trying to do, minus the TV thing, because otherwise you're not going to have enough units out there. Yeah. I don't know what Nintendo will or won't do, but I think it would greatly behoove them to have a price drop, if not at E3, then very close to the launch of the Xbox One and the PlayStation 4. That would be really, really good. What is it right now? Uh, 300 350 It's 300 for the basic, 350 for the deluxe. Yeah, no, I would say drop that to two fifty and three hundred, and you're going to get a lot of attention. Yeah, especially since I don't foresee either of those devices launching at less than four hundred dollars unsubsidized. Oh yeah, the sad thing is, is that well, they've made a couple different games or the different things have come out for three DS that look interesting, and if you'd port them over to Wii U, then it would be cool too. Like the one I'm thinking of is Tomodachi Collection. Tomokore. Yeah, Tomokore. Which is like kind of The Sims, kind of Animal Crossing-ish, except it uses your Wii's. Would that play in America, you think? Does The Sims still sell? Yeah, but it seems like it's almost somewhat reliant on street passing. I mean, obviously I'm not super familiar with it. I'd probably pick it up if freaking 3DS wasn't region locked. Yeah. It does seem like an interesting distraction, the similar way that Animal Crossing would be. I guess people in America are fairly excited for the Animal Crossing, so yeah, I'm sure it could garner something of an audience over there. There's also a lot of uh, new IPs on the eShop on the 3DS, too. Like things like uh, Dempamen, which is sort of like a Pokemon-ish uh, RPG that uses the 3DS cameras to find like these hidden little dudes that are like floating around your space. And also there's this uh, tower defense game featuring an armadillo. Uh, something The Last Ranger. I don't know. It's, it's, it's like your typical like mascot fair. They are trying new things. They're just not really marketing it or pushing it that hard you think especially with something like the 3ds now it's gaining steam they would start more heavily advertising alternative ways to obtain their games it's like they had that push when fire emblem came out and they had the supply constraints where they were selling out of copies of fire emblem because they couldn't print enough copies one of the problems with cartridges and they just told people like you can just buy in the eShop right now same price just download it no problem so why aren't they then pointing that store saying how about these new experiences? How about these things that you haven't tried? Yeah, They need to start pushing that, and they need to start bringing that to the Wii U, and they need to use that as a selling point. You know those things that you love from Nintendo? Well, we have some new things from those people that you're going to love as well. Yeah, but it's, it's almost one of those things where it needs to be not Japanese. I don't know. Like They need to get fresh people into there, and they need to let those ideas come to the top and not be restrained by the legacy of Miyamoto, which I think is shackling them as much as it is, is helping them anymore. Yeah, Reggie, I feel bad for you, man. <laughs> it feels like you got to be fighting with like one hand tied behind your back with the way uh, Nintendo of Japan controls Nintendo of America. Maybe things will improve now that Iwata was promoted to CEO of North America. Uh, well... I think at the least, like, you can see how the 3DS was kind of dead and buried at this point in its life where the Wii U is right now and has turned it all around. Like, Nintendo will always have the Nintendo games on their devices, and those will always sell a certain amount. It's just whether that's enough to support them 
as a profit on the machine is is the question. I guess the the current promotion, the thirty cent virtual console games for the thirtieth anniversary of the Famicom. Is it Famicom or is it Nintendo? I think it's it's Famicom because Nintendo as a company is way older. Yeah, they started with playing cards, right? Right, right, right. But when did the Game and Watch came out? Anyways. It's the 30th anniversary of something, and they're releasing a new virtual console game either every month, I want to say, for 30 cents. They've done, uh, they did Mother 2 over here, which is Earthbound in the States. That's going to be released differently. But they have released uh, Super Mario World. They've released uh, Super Metroid for 30 cents. And so that kind of strikes me as like a similar play to what they did with the 3DS and the whole Ambassador program, where they just gave you a bunch of old games for free. So maybe... They can use this, start pushing the device, or at least get some nostalgia in people's minds. Like, oh yeah, there are Nintendo games that I love, and I can play them on this thing. But they got to take a step in one way or the other. They either got to start making some really fresh and exciting titles, or they need to take the approach that a lot of Nintendo fans have always wanted, and just make the Nintendo box. Make the one thing that you can play every Nintendo game ever on. But either way, get more consoles out there. And to get more consoles out there, you need more games. It's not that hard. Well, it might be hard, but mm-hmm. it's an easy idea. Yeah. So do we want to move on to talking about Steambox and, as the notes indicate here, why Gavin is the false <laughs> shepherd? It's kind of funny because we've been trying to be, you know, this is the sky is not falling episode. And yet we've been talking about a lot of, lot of Falling Skies here. I don't think we've been talking about Falling Skies. We've just been talking about the challenges that exist. And you'd only be pessimistic if you say they can't overcome these challenges. Yeah, I don't think that we've left any of these companies in a position where we're just saying they're completely fucked. There's no way they're getting out of this mess. Right. And, and if you were to read this all entirely negatively, everybody's doomed. Nothing's going to be good. Everything's going to sell nothing no, or zero units. And that's clearly not the case. To anyone listening, I want you to know... I would love it if all three of these companies gave me a good reason to buy each of these devices. I would go completely broke, and that would make me a little unhappy, but I would at least have video games to play while being broke and unhappy. At least. Agreed. (laughs) There's at least that. All right, well, let's talk about, um, about the PC field, about Steam in particular, the as yet confirmed but not announced Steam box about Valve, about whatever else. Why is, I guess, the PC not the shining beacon? Well, the whole reason I put it on there is that it comes up time and time again. Any problem any problem that arises with the major consoles, people look, well, at least we got Steam. At least we got the PC. And I think even the PC gamers should want consoles to do well. There's a lot of games that cross over between consoles and the PC. And I think a lot of those games wouldn't exist were it not for the consoles. It Things work better when there's competition. Things work better when there's alternatives. And Steam isn't the beacon to look to because Steam exists because it has competition, not because it's Monopoly. Yeah, and I think it's a symbiotic sort of developing relationship like the console developers and console publishers have provided them content that wouldn't otherwise exist. But also at the same time, this past generation, Steam has showed them you can go digital completely. When's the last time you really saw a big box copy section of PC games in the US? 
at a store. It doesn't really happen anymore. It's all online. The consoles are going that way. You can show them that you don't have to have everything pegged at $60. You can drop the price and still make a profit. How many companies have talked about putting their stuff on a flash Steam sale? The price might be lower, but it does a lot of traffic and it ends up making them money in the end. And also, what about the free-to-play? Like, TF2 was probably the original flag bearer in being free-to-play but monetizing stuff in another way. And we didn't really touch on it, but that could be very big for both Microsoft and Sony on their consoles this next generation. They build in free-to-play. Dust 514 just came out of beta last week. It's it's a full release now. And uh, got who makes uh, EVE? Is that CCP, I think is the name? Yeah. 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 And they have, I mean, by all counts, it sounds like they have big plans for Dust 514. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot that comes as part of the interchange and the, the interplay like between these two worlds, between the PC and between the console space. And it'd be bad if either went away for the other, just by the nature of competition breeding better excellence. Now, to play devil's advocate, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to argue, I'm not going to argue <laughs> that competition is bad. Everyone, anyone who has an actual belief in capitalism, which does not include a lot of um, big supposed capitalists these days, but anyone who has a proper belief in capitalism believes that competition is necessary for the system to function. So I'm not going to argue that that's not necessary. However, from the perspective of, we'll just focus it on the hardcore, hardcore gamer looking at this current generation, considering the expense of, let's even factor out the Wii U, you know, looking at, okay, well, I want to get the PS4 for the PS4 exclusives. I want to get the Xbox One for the Xbox One exclusives. You're looking at $800 between those two. $800 buys you a solid gaming PC. Like, something capable of playing everything that's out right now. Yeah. I mean, besides certain exclusives that the person may favor, what is the draw of staying with the consoles? And granted, we've been talking about what they can do to make themselves more appealing, but at this juncture... Well, considering that your argument is that you're buying both of these devices for things that you can't get on a PC... True. You just made your own argument. Like, <laughs> And I'd, I'd also say that the thing that will always drive a lot of people to consoles, like that will drive myself to consoles, is, okay, you might be spending a little bit more, but it's like buying a Ferrari instead of hopping up your Ford. And, God, I, I think the most recent example that comes to my mind is uh, Tomb Raider. Like, yeah, it looks great on PC, but I knew people that downloaded Tomb Raider and eventually got it running, but at the, from the get-go, they had a lot of problems. There was uh, a lot of issues with graphic card compatibility, it sounded like, and so a lot of people either had to get some patches or work around with settings a lot. You know what I did Tomb Raider? Download it from the PlayStation Store. I played it. No problems. And uh, yeah, I think a lot of PC games, it, especially with Steam, is probably just that easy. But they're still always going to be compatibility issues on the PC because there's always going to be that variability because that's what you want, right? Yeah. I think that it's, it's always the argument like you, you can do so much if you just get your hands dirty, but I, I don't really want to get my hands dirty. Totally fair, which makes the, uh, again, still confirmed, but not announced steam box. Well, so compelling. I'm definitely intrigued by it. Yeah. The, it has the possibility now, granted again, we know nothing. But my take on it is to just kind of consider 
Gaben an evil uh, genius because because it's his company, he can just kind of do what he wants, and he's done some really amazing things. Yeah, I'm I'm really intrigued for that to become a reality because at that point you don't have to worry. You could get the PC gaming experience without the hand dirtying portion of the PC gaming experience. Yeah, uh, I mean, again, this is all high concept at this point, but the possibility is there. And if it's at a competitive price, well, then now you're just down to talking about exclusives. I think the other kind of issue with that, though, is the second argument you would make about going with consoles is it's the box. You put something in and it works. You don't have to worry about updates. Well, well I don't know about that. That is that is a funny thing for you to say, actually, considering that updates are now very much a very regular part of uh of console gaming no no no. i'm not talking about software i'm talking about hardware okay it seems like in general to stay on that bleeding edge you have to update the hardware within a pc every two to three years and from there it becomes an issue of compatibility whereas with with yeah because the playstation 3 and the xbox 360 never have os updates no i'm not talking about os updates i'm talking about hardware updates i'm talking about new video cards new whatever else you need to add in if, and I'm going to bring it back, if you're making games to be compatible with the x86-based PlayStation and 360, they're going to have a low-graphic mode that will support the baseline Steam box without a hardware upgrade. Yeah, and that is that is very true, but at that point you go, why why am I not just buying a real PC and doing like crazy shit and making it powerful and getting the powerful high-end mode, or why am I not buying the console version instead? Why am I smoking cigarettes and not heroin? It's like, what? yeah, why Why not just up it right all the way to heroin? It's kind of my argument against the Steam box right now because it seems like the middle ground that nobody's going to want. It seems like the niche, the crazy people like you are going to always go to PC stuff and that Steam's not going to have the marketing power to get the Steam box into the hands that would want it because Sony and Microsoft are much bigger about that. You know what, Doug? If this thing was priced less than a PS4 or an Xbox One, if it was tiny, if it fit under my TV and I could just play it with a controller and I could use it like big screen mode and like most of the games I've already bought on Steam played on it, I would totally pick it up. It, that's where it would be worth considering, but then it'd be a matter of how much less expensive. And that's kind of the thing you, you, go, you can't really talk about because there's no specifics. Right. Well, and we're still a far a ways out from the Steam box. Yeah. Like, I don't see it releasing even this year. It probably won't be out until like 2014, the earliest. And additionally, we don't have any specifics really on the on the PS4 or Xbox One either. Yes. All we know at this point is that they are here and they're going to come out this year. But that said, I think the normalization of things like streaming and and streaming outwards are going to be interesting for PC games because it's going to then kind of make them codify it within the games instead of something you bolt onto the game. That's that's kind of the advantage of of a Steam box in concept to relate it to PC gaming is that it will have a somewhat more open architecture. They've gone on record saying that, which means that you could install a streaming app and then potentially stream from any of your games, which the PS4 is doing something roughly like. We know the Wii U will never do that because perhaps an online predator will watch the stream. Because Japan. Because Japan. And finally, Microsoft made no announcement. And I'm a little staggered by that, but they may just not pursue it whatsoever that may be the thing where like you could tell some of the features were like okay we can work this in we have to work this in because sony announced it like the you know some of the other minor features but that might be the one that's 
I don't know, like, like again, I heard rumors that in these two consoles, like the PS4 and the Xbox One, the point of differentiation was Microsoft going towards more horsepower for Kinect purposes and Sony going towards more horsepower for download and internet capability purposes. And maybe that's where the big differentiation is going to be. And then it becomes who's going to make that really the feature that you want. Yeah, that is the question. And then we have this hypothetical dark horse. What feature set does it pursue? I think it's probably going to be closer to the PS4 because I don't foresee Steam going for Connect like motion controls? No. I don't see Microsoft wanting to get Connect working officially on PC anytime soon. No. I mean, since it's going to be launching with the Xbox One, it's probably not even going to be sold separately anyway. No. I think they got the Connect out there for PC just for devs to get people interested in the tech to get some ideas. And they're never going to do that with the new version of the Connect. It's never going to be connected to a PC officially. One more reason that PC owners probably should continue to want to support consoles, or at least, in theory, support them, is Japan. PC development over here is a joke, and frankly, sometimes rather offensive. If you go into a a store and look at PC titles, you get a whole lot of stuff you wouldn't want to show your grandma. Or your children. (laughs) Definitely not your children. Oh, good. And even though you do have some major publishers that have a more Western-friendly approach, like Capcom, they do have titles up on Steam, by and large, the larger, the bigger uh, developers just aren't making PC ports. They're not bringing their games to PCs. And if consoles go away, you are breaking the legs of high-end Japanese development. Yes. And it will get back up again eventually, but it's going to take a while. And they might retreat to mobile, and Japanese development on mobile over here is... Real sad. Like, sad. There, there's some, there's some good games, but like so much of it is just crippled by free to play bullshit. Actually criminal. Just about actually criminal. I guess what's been mentioned a few times on Eight Four, which is you know associated with Giant Bomb and guys who used to be in EGM who talk about Japanese stuff because they're you know translating. What's been mentioned by other people there is, or guests that are on there, is the dirty secret is like Capcom and Konami and other companies are basically being held up by their mobile side. It's not the AAA development for even handheld games or console games that's making money for them. It's these cell phone games that, to put it in perspective, they've tried to legislate some of the more like, you know, put money in to buy items stuff out of this. This is Japan. That doesn't happen. That just does not happen. Every week I ask my kids, like, what did you do this weekend? What are you doing that's fun? And obviously I get a lot of comments about games. It's usually 3DS. It's usually PSP. I'm starting to get a lot of uh, Puzzle Dorage, which is Puzzle Dragons. Puzzle Dragons. Which is a free-to-play, what is it, like Match 3 game? I haven't actually played it myself. It looks like a match three game. I um I met a friend in when I was in Tokyo who I believe works kind of with game development stuff. I, I'm not 100% certain, so I'm not going to say anything specific. But he was playing that while we were meeting up for, for drinks in Tokyo. And it looks like a match three game mixed with an RPG. I, I've tempted to download it just to see what it is. But like I, it's kind of gross and disgusting just the very thought of it. You won't have any money in your bank account. The other thing is that it's wildly popular. They have TV ads for that and for other, like, the mobile put money in and win sort of games as well. You don't really see as many ads for the mainstream games, or at least not that I see. 
So yeah, basically, if you want to continue to see stuff like uh, Dark Souls, if you want to continue to see stuff like uh, Dragon's Crown, like Persona, you should still want consoles to exist. You should still want to see Sony do well, to see, I don't know, probably not Microsoft. I don't think not they really. really have much of a fight in Japan anymore. And really, like, because they're going to x86 architecture on these consoles, that means it's going to be even easier for them to port, port them to PC if they want to go into PC ports later. Like Dark Souls? Dark Souls? Yeah. That one just came to PC recently. Apparently it's pretty good on PC. Yeah. Apparently it was very yeah. Japanese in how it was ported, but it's apparently very good. After you mod it. <laughs> right. You have to, well, you have to mod course. some basic goddamn functionality into that, apparently. But but they're already saying that the PC port of uh, Dark Souls 2 will be much better. Right. But, God, look at Nick. Like, half the reason he even got a Wii U was because Platinum just announced that Bayonetta 2 was going to be exclusive to it. They didn't show anything, just the logo, but it's coming. And, uh, yeah, if it weren't for consoles, if it weren't for Nintendo, that game would not exist. Yeah, it literally would not exist. They're the ones who put that deal together to make it happen. It's not oh we we wanted it's not that Nintendo backed up a money truck and said don't put this on PlayStation put it on Nintendo they pitched them for that game to come out in general to be made at all. All right. So this is a good way to leave it. Everyone who's listening keep in mind like with every generation we've had changes and change can be scary but change can be good. So 2 weeks till E3 maybe we'll see some things we like maybe we won't. But I'm sure we'll be playing some good games in the next six months, next year. Yeah. Keep your head high. <laughs> guys, guys, no matter what happens, it's new console season. It is that. Things aren't that bad. Be happy. All right. Thanks for listening. The Silicon Sasquatch Podcast is a production of SiliconSasquatch.com. Our panelists for this discussion were Tyler Martin, Doug Bonham, and Spencer Tordoff, and the remainder of our editorial staff is Nick Cummings and Aaron Thayer. If you'd like to check out more of our work, SiliconSasquatch.com is the place to go. And Reggie, really, please don't take any of it personally. We only are thinking of the best for you. Thanks for listening. <laughs>